Well, this is the the second calm. The first calm was before the conference, and uh, and as we started setting things up, um, gathering all the people together, uh, recruiting authors for panels, uh, getting the author spotlights, getting the system set up, um, that was really busy, really intense, and uh, and then not knowing if it's going to be it's going to work, not not knowing if any of this is going to work. And um, so it was very hectic and exciting. And and now there's kind of a lull. Uh, we have everything organized. We're now going to go through testing and continue to recruit and uh, and gather participants. But uh, we're pretty excited. We're we're at about a hundred, about 220 participants today. And uh, we had a goal of 250. So I think we're going to hit there. And now we've expanded, uh, stretched our goal to, to, to see if we can can't get the three Welcome everyone to JCV Art Studio. My name is Joanna. Ozzy is with me. We've gone for a run. He has all his toys. I'm hoping he's going to behave. If you're tuning in to this podcast for the first time, my name is Joanna Vanderfluck. I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. And I'm working on Spy Girl, which will be coming out next year, early next year. This is my podcast, and I like to promote authors and artists. Now today, today I have award-winning mystery author Mike Martin with me, and we are going to talk about his latest novel and the first virtual Maple Leaf Mystery Conference, which I know I'm excited about, and authors I have spoken to on the podcast are excited about. And this virtual conference takes place over five days from May 24th to May 28th. And it is $25 Canadian. Come on. <laughs> 25 Canadian. And I'm not doing the math of what that is American, but it's a darn good price. So anyways, first, I want to talk with Mike. I want to talk with Mike. He was born in St. John's, Newfoundland. Mike has always been a writer. It's been the last 15 years that he's worked as a freelance writer, specializing in workplace and social policy issues. He's been published in newspapers and magazines across Canada, the US and New Zealand. His first book, was Change the Thing You Can, Dealing with Difficult People. And his first published fiction novel is 
or was The Walker on the Cape. He has published a number of short stories and periodicals and online. Mike, welcome. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Thank you, Joanna. Really nice to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. Good. All right. So before we get into the conference, I want to know about you, the author, and you're launching a new Sergeant Windflower book. Uh, my bit of research, Sergeant Windflower is a Mountie. Can you talk to me about your latest book and the series? Well, it seems like um, seems like forever since uh, the first book, The Walk Around the Cape, and it probably was forever. Uh, I guess about twelve years ago uh, now, and um, and so the newest book coming out um, next month is called Dangerous Waters, and it's the twelfth book in the series. Now that's amazing. I think you know uh, that uh, I started out to write a book. I just wanted to write a book of fiction, and um, and the story is that. I didn't know how to end the book. And somebody said, well, you can make it a series. And I thought that's so great, right? And so the, uh, the, the stories are standalone, but they, they're continuous. They take place in current times. And, um, and so the main character is Sergeant Winston Windflower. And he is a Cree from northern Alberta who gets stationed in Grand Bank, Newfoundland. And so he finds that he loves the place, falls in love with a woman, ends up staying there, and uh, and so the adventure begins and continues. All right. All right. Okay. So you've, given, you've told us a bit about Sergeant Windflower, um, and I'm just wondering, so what type of hero is he? Like, is he a plainclothes detective? Is he in the beginning of his career? He's, he's, you said he's fallen in love with a woman, and... You know, what is he battling? You know, is he near the end of his career? What, what's going on with him? Well, he I would say he is uh, conflicted now about his career and, in, in fact, um, has decided to leave the RCMP, um, which was a momentous decision. Um, but he hasn't gotten out of police or investigative work. Uh, maybe people like that never do. Uh, and uh, and so he. He uh, in in the latest book he he takes on a project for an old friend and of course gets wound into the investigation and crime and murder and all the things that happen in a, in a murder mystery um, and and the uh, but he's been struggling for a while about the role of you know a father and because he has kids now with his partner his wife Sheila Hillier uh, who used to be the mayor of Grand Bank and she has her own career and her own uh, ambitions um, and she's really worried about him being an RCMP officer because there's danger in that work and he's away a lot and um, and he has had uh, his own close encounters he's never really he's never been shot uh, but he had a close friend who was and so that was very traumatic for him and his family and uh, and so and the other thing is he's not a big uh, police bureaucrat so he's a sergeant but that makes him a middle manager and that's the worst place to be in an organization <laughs> And, and we all know in real life that the RCMP has many challenges, uh, leadership challenges, and, um, and he's battled some of those and won some of those. And I, I guess he's not really sure he wants to continue on that battle. So, so that's why he decided to leave. He hasn't figured out what to do next, but he decided to leave. And Sheila supports him in that. And she's got her own business started, so that's keeping them busy. And they bought a B&B. 
um, an old B&B that's actually a real B&B in real life in Grand Bank um, that they, uh, they are running. Um, now in the last couple of years, it's been a challenge because we've been in COVID and shutdowns and everything else, but they've restored it and they're running that. So they, they thought that with Sheila's business and the B and B that maybe they could, uh, they could define a life for themselves. But, you know, the thing is that he's, he's a police officer at heart. So he's community minded and, um, and somebody described him as the person we all want to be when we grow up. Was that like a, a book re a reviewer or a fellow author or? It was a, it was a reader uh, who described it as that, right? Because uh, he's, he's a kind, gentle man. He, uh, he, he, he doesn't, I, I can't say he's very spiritual, but he has some practice that he, that he follows that come out of his Cree traditions. Uh, he smudges, he is a dream weaver, which is part of his family uh, traditions. And he connects to, you know, the animal world and nature. And, and so that's another aspect of him that uh, makes him an interesting person and somebody to admire that sounds really he sounds like a really cool hero yeah for sure so okay so you if he's thinking of he's thinking about retiring you have dangerous waters coming out next month so what is that like can you give us a brief summary like we, we what what brings him makes him investigate brings him back into investigating well, he gets a call. He's 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 I won't say he's retired. He stopped working for the RCMP because, you know, the uh, the uh, he's in his early 40s and he's not ready to stop working, but he's 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 ready for a break from the RCMP. Yeah. And so he gets a call from an old friend uh, who is an RCMP officer and has moved up in the ranks is in Ottawa. And they're following a um, they're following a lead about some drug smugglers who are using the island of St. Pierre and Miquelon as a staging place. Um, and the island of St. Pierre and Miquelon is just off the coast of Newfoundland. And it's actually an international territory, belongs to France. And so it's uh, so so the exciting part of the story for Windflower is he takes on the assignment to they don't have anybody on the ground in Grand Bank who could do this to send over and uh, and check things out. And so he goes over to to St. Pierre uh, to uh, to check it out. And so that's one of the nicest parts of the story is the readers get to visit St. Pierre and get to sample some of the French cuisine and some of the shopping over there. And, um, and of course there's a case that's happening all around him, but the, uh, the, uh, one of the things about the windflower mysteries is it is also about, uh, his life outside of police work and about food and family and having fun. So a lot of that is there in this book as well. Nice. And I don't know if it was W5, but I saw a documentary about that little island, St. Pierre, and they were saying it is owned, it's part of France. Yeah, and, and it's kind of neat because you go over there and, of course, the 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 cars are all uh, Peugeots and Citroëns and, uh, you know, the streets are narrow and cobblestoned and it's not very big, but it's, uh, you know, it's and they close from 12 to 2 for lunch, you know, which is not convenient if you're going to visit, but that's what happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So what was, what was um, the what if, the inspiration? Because I know on your website, you know, like you said, Windflower is trying to move away from his life as a Mountie. Um, but this time, 
they're missing their men who are missing. There's a series of missing men, one who turns up dead, which gets his attention. So I was wondering, what was there a what if, let's say, that inspired you to tackle this story? There's there's always a, a seed, uh, a breadcrumb that uh, that you can follow, um, and you know in in the first book in the walk around the Cape there actually was a man who died uh, walking up the hill called the Cape in Grand Bank, yeah. and it was a mysterious death, and he actually died of a heart attack, um, but in the story in the walk around the Cape, that real incident turns into a more mysterious death. Okay. And so something to investigate. And most of the stories I find are like that, um, that I have a seed where it's a, it's a breadcrumb that comes from a real event because you have to have some place to start. And, um, and it's often something you see in the news or you, you hear about an operation, a police operation or, or things like that. And that becomes a place to start. And so I already have the location and I already have, a, you know, sort of a starting point. And, you know, and then the writing process is, to me, fiction writing process is fascinating because I'm not a plotter. I don't know how the story is going to end. And that makes it so exciting to write the book because I have to write the whole book to figure out what happened. And uh, and the the and so that 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 makes it that makes it fun. And and the other thing is, you know, what I've discovered, I've done a lot of business writing uh, in my life. And but fiction writing is different. Business writing comes from your head and fiction writing comes from your heart. And 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 for me, I just have to get myself in a space where I can be still and listen. And it's kind of like a creative flow that is already there that I connect to the creative flow. The characters come, they tell me the story and I write it down. And so I love that process. And maybe that's why I continue to write and why I have 12 books. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, I think it is a wonderful gift. Like it's just, it, it is. And, um, you know, it, you can, you can do it anywhere. Right. Like, and you're, you're talking about seeds. And I've been doing some landscaping and I just had Alice Bienna on here and I've been telling her how in the back of our house, there's this huge rock. There's a connection here. Okay. It was this, what you said about seeds. And I'm, I'm uncovering more rock. It's almost like, a, like an archaeologist and I'm pulling off weeds and I'm pulling off dirt. And I was telling her how I am finding, I'm picking up snakes and I've, I've thrown about five snakes. And Alice, the Anna's said to me when, after we stopped recording, she goes, gosh, imagine if you found a skull. You know, and like that's the mystery writer, yeah, here, right? Exactly. And part of me is thinking, yeah, that'd be cool, but that would also be terrifying, <laughs> right? You know. <laughs> so, anyways, anyways, you mentioned Saint Pierre, you mentioned Grand Bank. Now, Mike, I have never been to the East Coast. One day I will, okay, for sure, and. Again, my little bit of research about the Grand Bank, I've been, it, everybody's saying it's a beautiful place. Um, I have listeners from the US, the UK, Germany, and Australia, uh, Alberta, just all over. Can you tell us a bit what, the how, tell us about the Grand Bank? 
Okay. So Grand Bank is a beautiful little fishing community uh, located on the southeast coast of Newfoundland. Okay. And Newfoundland, of course, is on the easternmost tip of Canada. So uh, just before you hit Ireland, you'll hit Newfoundland. <laughs> and, the, uh, and, and the town of Grand Bank uh, has actually got quite a history. Um, it is, of course, named after the Grand Banks, which everybody knows, which has been the largest fishing ground in the world. Um, and it is also home to what was called the Banks fishery, which was a... Uh, which was a salt fishery that the fish was brought in uh, on land, dried, and then salted, and then put in barrels and sent all over the world. And of course, the Portuguese and Spaniards came hundreds of years uh, before, uh, uh, you know, when when Columbus was sailing around in John Cabot, and and they would come and and do the same thing. And and so in Grand Bank, they they actually built the schooners, uh, and they were called Grand Bank schooners that went and did the Grand Bank fishery uh, and the Banks fishery. And and so the the they had a big industrial complex going there, um, and the and of course the the a lot of the salt fish got shipped to other countries, including down to uh, you know South America and down to Jamaica, and actually one of the uh, one of the uh, one of the things that came out of that trade was Newfoundland screech because they traded salt fish for rum. And they brought the rum up in barrels and they cured it up here themselves in, in Newfoundland themselves. And then they made Newfoundland screech. Uh, and so that's part of the history. And, and Grand Bank is part of that. Um, and so that went on for a couple hundred years. And, and also they were close to St. Pierre, which was a uh, run, rum running route. Uh, when during prohibition in the United States, uh, you know, and uh, and Al Capone has been the Grand Bank. Uh, and so, you know, they have a history of international internationalism, of international trade, of, I want to say, crime and corruption. Uh, it's a very interesting place. So the uh, the it is it is an ideal setting for murder mysteries or crime fiction. So that's a little bit of the story about Grand Bank. That is so cool. Wow, I have got to get there. I've got to get there. And so let me tell you about the let me tell you about the B and B in Grand Bank. The yeah. one that they one that they uh one that they that Windflower and his wife Sheila Hillier bought. It is actually there is a B and B in Grand Bank called the Thorndike, built by a captain, the sea captain, Captain Thorndike, Captain John Thorndike. And he lived on a little island just across from Grand Bank, uh, called Brunette Island. And he built the B&B from a shipwreck, from shipwreck lumber. Uh, and they set it up as a hotel in Grand Bank um, years and years and years ago. And so there's an interesting story about the, about the, about the hotel because uh, Captain Thorndike and his wife and family lived in the hotel. But the, and the children had their own rooms, but the parents didn't have their own bedroom because they would leave the, any room that any guests wanted open for the night and they would sleep in whatever room were, was available. And so the story is that after uh, they died, that his wife, I think her name was Alice, um, would come back and walk around the house as a ghost. And of course, she was looking for a place to sleep, right? And so that worked its way into one of the Windflower Mysteries. That's, which, which one? <laughs> which one's that one? I don't remember which one it was. 
But it's such a great story that whenever you talk about Grand Bank, and so there's all these nuggets of stories there around smugglers and around ghosts and, uh, you know, some of the old traditions that uh, you always pick up a little bit. And one of the nice things about writing a series set in a place like that is I get to talk about the history of Grand Bank and Newfoundland. And, you know, that's where I'm from. And that's that's been one of the one of the goals I had was to write a book set in Newfoundland. So so I'm pretty happy about that. That is, I, I love I love when the history of the setting is worked into the book. Hey, that is so cool. <laughs> and so how I got to Grand Bank, because I'm not from Grand Bank. I'm actually from St. John's, which is what they call the big city, yeah. the town in Newfoundland. Everybody from St. John's is a townie and everybody outside of St. John's is a bayman. Oh. And... <laughs> And uh, so I'm from St. John's, but I got to Grand Bank because my partner, who I did not know at the time, her family, uh, her father is from Grand Bank. And we ended up visiting there uh, and she bought her grandfather's house and restored it. It's an old fisherman's house, uh, salt box uh, style house. And so then we started going there. And so each year we spend a month of the year there in Grand Bank. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, so now I'm thinking of your series, and you were mentioning about some of the comments you're getting from your your reviewers, and the one I loved when I was doing some research, I was reading this review, and one reviewer said that she was sad when she finishes a Windflower book because it's like leaving an old friend. There's a good balance of investigation and home life. And she was referring to book 11. So, you know, some of us, um, we write books where our heroines don't have a good home life. Talk to me about why home life was important to you and you wanted to include it. Well, I I wasn't, I didn't start out wanting to include it. (laughs) It kind of just evolved that, that it was kind of like, girl meets boy and boy and girl get together and then they have a family and but for windflower um you know he he uh, he comes from a small creek community in northern alberta his parents died young he didn't have a lot of family and uh, and he and he and he so he yearns for that he yearns for the family life and so him and Sheila built a life together. And of course, then they had a child. And, and in, in recent years, they've, they've adopted another child. And so, like, it's a, it's, it's a uh, somebody said, how do you keep a series alive? And one of the ways is if it's a real life, real time series, then things happen, right? And in that, in that happenings, part of that happenings for Windflower is the family. And so how is Windflower as a father how does how does his characters come out and and so it comes out as sometimes he's impatient and sometimes he's frustrated and sometimes he's really good right um and the uh, and it's just a natural part of life to have him uh to have a family life and what he realizes too is that is that children are gifts that children are, are here to give them to give you a gift. We think we're giving things to children all the time, but they're actually they're giving us a gift. And the gift sometimes is to see things with a child's eye. Yeah. That we get to see things, you know. Some some wise person said the idea of 
of, of being really alive is you want to see things either for the first time, for the first time or the last time. And imagine that that is going to be that. And a child has that experience. It's like, wow, this is so exciting. And so Windflower sort of gets that idea that children are a gift and that he's to learn from his children as much as he is to teach, from, teach, teach them. That's, that's an excellent lesson for everybody, really, right? Everybody, it, that's an excellent lesson. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I my mom, she raised me. She said, if you appreciate the little things in life, you, you'll always be happy, you know? And it, it's a very valuable lesson, yeah. Okay, so now let's shift gears here. Let's go to the conference, okay? Um how did the idea for the conference come about? And again, what was the what if, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we most Canadian mystery writers um, who've been around for a little while have been exposed to mystery conferences. Yeah. Um, and whether it's, you know, a Bashakan or whether it's Left Coast Crime or Malice Domestic, um, the the most of us have, have attended a conference. Um, and the feeling that you get at a conference is you're not alone. Yeah. And for a writer, that's that is that is the most fabulous thing because writing is such a solitary act. You feel like you're alone, even when you share it with other people. It's kind of like I still feel alone. I still feel like you know it's only me and my writing sometimes. And so the idea of a conference is to is to bring people together. That's that's the first thing. And a couple of years ago, there was a, a conference called Bloody Words, yes. um, and it ran I think maybe five or six years. I caught the last one. It was in Toronto. And and it was I mean, it was Toronto centric in terms of more people from Toronto and certainly a lot more people from the east, from eastern Canada. But it was uh, it was an experience where you came and you didn't feel alone and you got to share and you got to participate. And, you know, people who liked your books got to come and talk to you. And it was kind of really neat. And so after Bloody Words died, because uh, the organizers, I think, just got tired, right? Yeah. Uh, they did a great job for a number of years, uh, but organizing conferences is a lot of work, yeah. uh, as I know now. And and they they got tired. And so ever since that, there's been a move to try and reinstall, reinvigorate, re restart a conference. And so we had a discussion going at Crime Writers of Canada just before the pandemic yeah. uh, about a conference. And it just... It didn't work. You know, we just couldn't make that happen. And uh, and so I've been thinking about it for uh, uh, for a couple of years now and and got tired of waiting for the pandemic to end and just decided, why don't we do a virtual conference and see how that goes? And the idea is we try a virtual conference. If there's interest, if people still want to do a conference, then maybe just maybe we can have a real in-person conference next year. Well, yeah. And before she retired, it's not with Crime Writers of Canada. It is. It was. Um, oh God, her name just Stella, Stella Harvey. She was the um, organizer for so many years behind the Whistler Writers Conference, and it that it started with a small group of people meeting up with her in her house. And then each year it just grew and grew and grew. And I was fortunate before the pandemic to go to the like, the, like you said, a real conference with real people, right? Um, 
before the pandemic in 2019. And uh, yeah, like I, like I said, I'm excited about this one happening in May. You know, like yeah. you said, it's, it's getting together with everyone, you know, and, and sharing their knowledge and their stories. Now... And- Pardon me? Did you have? Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, that, I mean, so, so the, the, uh, the main objective is to bring people together, yeah. um, but also to make the connection again between readers and, and, yeah. and writers, right? That it seems we lost a lot of that in the, uh, even though people kept reading books and even though people posted reviews, we didn't really have any, any author reader connections on the mystery side. Um, and so that's a big piece of this, as well as building a community, building a community community of mystery writers. Um, I mean, we've all had help to get started and we all try to help somebody else who's coming behind us. This is just another way to do that. That's great. That's great. Now, you also have international guest Ian Rankin. So what, did you just call him up <laughs> on your phone and just said, hey, Ian, <laughs> you got it? Well, you know, the... the I know from trying to organize a conference, and we went through a process of, you know, inviting people and things like that. It's very difficult to get uh, high-profile authors. Um, but here's how a conference works, in my view: you get high-profile authors, and then you get the next profile authors, and then all the other authors come. Once all the other authors come, the fans come, the readers come. But you have to have some headliners, and so you know. Uh, I, Ian Rankin loves Canada, so I did not know this, but he loves Canada um, and was willing to come. When we were talking about a, a, having an in-person conference a couple of years ago, he was one of the persons we approached informally without sort of nailing down dates and things like that. So would you be interested? And he said, yes, if the dates work, I'd be interested. So um, there, he has a friend in Canada that I know, so a friend of a friend. And so I called a friend of a friend and said, hey, would you reach out to Ian and ask him if he'll do this, right? A one-hour Zoom interview um, at the conference. And he went out and, and Ian said yes. Awesome. So there we go. Yeah, yeah. And, and once we got Ian, uh, Ian Rankin, then we had a conference. My view was like we, now we have like an international star and all the other authors are going to go goo-goo and uh, – and of course, we didn't have any trouble attacking other authors. Like I went to several authors who weren't available. Uh, yeah. You know, we'd love to have Louise Penny. She wasn't available. We'd love to have Thomas King. He wasn't available. Uh, but Maureen Jennings, uh, as soon as we said we have Ian Rankin, she said, oh, great. I know Ian. I'd love to be part of something he's part of. Right. Perfect. And then, and then the other, uh, the other spotlight authors were very happy to have, you know, Vicky Delaney, Rick yeah. Mafina, and Iona uh, yeah. Wishaw as spotlight authors. I mean, they all bring their own piece. They're all famous in their own right. They're all great writers. And so I think people are going to be really, people that don't know them, if they go and listen to them, they're going to be really excited to hear them. Yes. And I was actually thinking about that this morning how um, it's, for me, as a reader, it's extra special when you pick up an author's book and let's say you just said, if you don't know of them and they write in such a way that you're like, I love this story, right? I can't wait for the next book to come out. So thinking about the lineup, like you said, Maureen Jennings of the Murdoch Mysteries, 
author spotlight sessions with Vicki Delaney, Rick Mafina, Iona Wishaw. Now, how did that, did you, I was wondering, did you approach these authors or just through conversations? They said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll join in. Or was it, did it just kind of like grow? Like once you, you know, just started, you know, sometimes like you, you mentioned earlier a seed. And it's like once you planted that seed, did it just started to grow? Yeah. Once we once we once once Ian Rankin agreed, uh, it solidified things. Once Maureen Jennings agreed, it gave us the author spotlight, the Canadian author spotlight. Maureen Jennings is probably one of the best known uh, mystery writers in Canada. Certainly, Murdoch Mysteries. Yeah. Somebody said if we could get Yannick uh, no uh, Yannick Noah to come, that uh, Yannick what's his last name? Yannick. Oh God. Oh, God. Yeah. I know we're going to get killed now because we can't remember <laughs> Yannick's last name. If we could get Yannick to come, we'd, we'd sell the place out, right? Yeah. So absolutely. And actually, I have an idea that if we have the in-person conference, and you're the first one to hear this one, that if we have an in-person conference, we want to have Maureen Jennings come. We want to have the cast of Murdoch Mysteries come and do a little skit for us. Wouldn't that be fabulous? That would be fabulous. I, so, I know authors. I know so many authors who are big fans. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we'll 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 see if we can make that happen. Yeah. But the the um, and then I don't want to say we. Everybody else we asked said yeah. yes. Yeah. I had one. I had one Canadian author, Canadian mystery author author who said no yeah. one yeah uh, and and that person didn't want to be part of a virtual conference and i said fair enough right yeah. uh, it's not for everybody but the uh, the uh everybody else we asked everybody else we asked to be a moderator to be on a panel everybody said yes and we actually we we had to i don't want to say we had to turn people away yeah. we didn't have enough spots for everybody yeah uh, we ran out of time simply because that's all the spots we have, and we couldn't go later or earlier. And uh, and so once we did that, that's the, that becomes a fixed a fixed quota, and uh, and we just couldn't fit anybody else in. So we we have authors who wanted to be part of the panels who could not be, and we're sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's almost like this buzz. This buzz starts to to grow, and that's excellent. So, like you're saying. Okay, thinking about, you know, the time, the time differences in this country. Um, now, there seems to be some, like, this divide between the East and the West. And I think it's partly because this country is so big, okay? Now, I think this virtual conference is actually bridging that divide. Do you, do, do you think that at all? feel that at all well it gives everybody access there's no yeah. question about that and uh, and you know the uh, the um it's kind of like we all watch the hockey game at the same time even though it takes place in different time zones right yeah. that's yeah. kind of where we are and and you know the evening sessions are seven to nine eastern but they it's still four to seven uh five to seven of you know yeah. uh and, and the west coast and and so not unreasonable um the weekend ones we had to do two o'clock to seven uh we had to do friday because that's when ian Rankin could do his interview 
was at seven o'clock his time. So that's that's why the, the, the settings are there. But the other thing is we wanted to have representation from across the country, and, and we have. So, you know, we, we don't have many from Quebec. We have a couple from Quebec. Uh, we have uh, me and a couple of other people who write East Coast stories. And and we're, I'm really happy that we have the West Coast panel, that we have, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, because – you know, I've been to Vancouver and met with Crime Writers of Canada writers, Merrily uh, Robson and, and, and lots of other people who were involved with Crime Writers when we were talking about a conference the last time. And, you know, there's so much talent out here. Uh, I'm just sorry we can't fit everybody in, but I'm, I'm really happy that we have you moderating the panel and, and the other panelists that we have are all going to be, uh, you know, well-received. Yeah, yeah. And, you know... Like, I think of music, you know, I've, I've talked with my spouse about this and he lived in Toronto for a year. And he said to me, now some people may disagree with me, you know, and we're talking about, so we're not talking it now. We're talking about, um, let's say mid eighties when he lived out in Toronto for a year. And he had said to me just, he goes, Joe, there are excellent bands in Toronto and Ontario, which no one on our coast, like in no. the West Coast, have heard of. And he goes, and it's the same with the West Coast, you know, excellent bands, excellent music, which no one has heard of in Ontario or in the East. And it's just because this country is so wide and so big, right? And so diverse. So the panel I'm moderating... <laughs> The Maple Leaf Murder West. I'm going to give a plug for this because I am, I'm, like I said, I'm very excited. I'm going to have to make sure I drink decaf the night of the <laughs> panel. <laughs> okay. So the Maple Leaf Murder West panel I'm moderating, it features P.D. Workman, Charlotte Morganti, Dave Butler, and Janice McDonald. And I tell you, we are going to speak about using location as a character, a flavor, or a plot element in our novels and stories. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Got questions going and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to admit that I'm not as familiar with uh, everybody on the panel. I love Dave Butler's stuff. Let me just say that, right? That, that, uh, that's one person who I wanted, uh, who I sought out and, and I knew exactly where, where we want to place him in terms of uh, being on a panel, right? And also Janice McDonald, who, who, who is not really connected to the crime writing community as much as we'd like her to be, um, that uh, is um, uh, from Edmonton, I think, uh, Alberta for sure, right? Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and she is a very, very popular writer in that part of the world that we just don't get to hear about, right? Right, right. So Let's I'm excited. Good. We'll both drink decaf. Well, you're drinking water now, so you're better than me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I was wondering, now you may have hinted about this earlier, are there going to be more conferences? And I won't say should the day come. I believe the day will come when we all feel more comfortable attending conferences. Do you think... The maple. I know this is quite far in thinking ahead, but do you think there's a possibility that the Maple Leaf Mystery Conference could alternate from east to west, kind of like 
the Junos. Like I know that we have the Junos awards, but I thought, what do you think about that? I like the idea. Um, the My partner asked me this morning, are you going to do a, an in-person conference next year? And I said, I can't let myself go there yet, yeah. right? Uh, it's kind of like you can't write the next book until you finish the book you're writing. Yeah. And, you know, the because uh, it's not fair to the book you're writing now uh, to leave it and say, oh, I'm going to go off and do another one. And and uh, not if you're writing a series, you can write another different book. But um, and so I put that caveat in. But, you know, the the Toronto is the center of the universe for Canada. I don't want, like, I, I'm not from Toronto. I'm not particularly a big fan of Toronto, but that's where the action is. That's where the predominant number of readers, writers uh, are located. It's hard to envision a conference that, that doesn't take place in Toronto. Having said that, I think that there is a possibility of smaller conferences in satellite areas uh, that, that a one-day conference in Ottawa would make sense. A one-day conference in Vancouver would make sense. A one-day conference in Calgary would make sense. And then I would think out of that, there would have to be an organizing committee yeah. in each area who would take on the task and say, do you want to do a full conference? If you do, we have the infrastructure. We know how to do it. Here's the, <laughs> here's the manual. Uh, all you need is 50 people to go and organize this thing um, or whatever number you need. Um, and, and we go from there. And, and let me just say that one of the reasons the big conference didn't work before the pandemic and probably a good, probably wise that we didn't do it given the fact everything shut down yeah. is that if you do a multi-day conference, then a hotel has an ex. If you do it at a hotel, they have an expectation that you buy rooms, yeah. that you guarantee rooms, and that becomes a financial risk. I'm not saying it's insurmountable, but it becomes a financial risk. And one of the reasons why crime writers in Canada didn't want to do it, they didn't want to assume that financial risk. Yeah. One of the advantages of working with a private company in Writers First is that we would assume that risk. Okay. And so just putting out challenges, but the opportunity is there. And I, I seems to me that, that um, there is no reason why, why we could not uh, in a short period of time have uh, a number of conferences happening across the country. Um, I would think that from a, Profile perspective, you'd always want to have a conference in Toronto just because, you know, there's a reason why it's the biggest city and why everything happens there. It's kind of like New York in the States. Like if you don't do it in New York, you don't do it. Right. Uh, um, it's much easier to draw three or four hundred people in Toronto to a conference than it is anywhere else. So okay. it just beca becomes a numbers game. Okay. But I, uh, I, uh, I'd be happy to talk to people. It should people in Vancouver wish to organize a mystery conference to share our expertise and to talk about a partnership to do that. So, so the short, the, the, the short answer is maybe <laughs> the longer answer is why not? Right. Yeah. Cause I remember CWC did have a conference in Victoria. Bloody words. Yeah. 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 And because uh, I remember Carolyn and I, my, my critique partner, she and I went to it. And uh, 
it, it was again, it's, it's, you know, it's that, that conference feeling, which is gosh, it's, it's such a great feeling. Yeah. Okay. 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 Mike. So before I get to my favorite question, where can people find you on the socials? Do you know it's taken me about three seasons to feel okay saying where can people find you on the socials? <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly, uh, certainly, uh, there's a there's there's a website, uh, sergeantwindflowermysteries.com. Um, I'm not sure anybody goes to websites anymore, but I I post a blog there occasionally, and uh, usually when I do a new book, I'll do a couple of blogs around that. Um, the uh and then the there is a sergeant windflower mysteries facebook page um that you can uh find pretty easily um the and uh at mike 54 martin uh on twitter so you know the uh, i have to admit that i I'm, I'm primarily a facebook person i do twitter because it's there uh and I, you know that let me just give you my marketing uh tip for the day which yeah. is facebook works because you can target your advertising yeah. because i know that i know what the demographic of the readership of my books uh, is i wish it was 18 to 25 because i'd have a tv series now uh <laughs> the uh it's not it's older women and but they love books they buy books they love my books i'm very happy with that yeah. and so i can find them on facebook yeah. uh fairly easily and uh and and make for a good human connection see and for me with the podcast i was surprised my demographic, 50% of my listeners are in the 30 to 40 range. And I was, I was surprised. And then we go, let's say 40 to 60. Okay. And then a few near the end, but it's, it's definitely that 30 to 40 is 50%. Right? But that's, that's the medium as well, right? Yeah. The podcast they're, they're my daughter gets all her information through podcasts. Yeah. She has a New York times podcast where she gets her news and she gets other information. She knows everything about all these things that she's interested in yeah. through podcasts. And uh, so it's a medium that she's comfortable with. And I never used to listen to podcasts, but now I'm listening to them for research purposes for my novels, you know? So, uh, yeah. Okay. 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 Favorite question, Mike, favorite question. Now I'm going to change it up a bit. You were talking about the B&B &B and uh, Grand Bank. So you are sitting in the Grand Bank B&B. &B, so not the Copper Kettle Cafe and Pub, okay? <laughs> and would, would, yeah, you're having a beverage, you, you know, whatever you like, and Sergeant Windflower approaches you. What would he say to you? Sergeant Winflower would probably say, how's she going by? Uh, <laughs> as, a, as a humorous way that he's learned to greet people. Uh, and, and of course, the answer, the response is best kind by. And uh, so that's the kind of greeting that you would likely get in Grand Bank from Sergeant Winflower and the response that would be expected in return. Okay, great, great. And I have to give a shout out to Nancy Power, from Nova Scotia. She used to be my neighbor in Brentwood Bay. Sweetest lady ever. Um, maybe this reflects the hospitality of the East Coast. But when we first moved there, I remember we're unpacking boxes. This is in Victoria. And she came over and welcomed us to the neighborhood 
with an apple pie. I mean, come nice. on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, That's so great. Yeah, yeah. So listeners, if you like my podcast, please subscribe or follow. I have a Facebook page as well. Um, you can find my this podcast, all my other previous podcasts at jcvartstudio.net. Okay, Mike, this has been a blast. Thank you. Thank you, Joanna. Very, very nice to be here with you. Nice to meet you too. <laughs> okay. <laughs>